it's crazy looking at the announcements. And like you said, we're looking at April's coming up and we're putting out announcements for summer study and it's time is going by so fast. And this weekend, it really hit me because my son turned 17 on Sunday. And it's funny because it kind of puts things in perspective when your kids get old and then you feel like you're kind of staying the same. But then when you start seeing how they're getting older, it just puts things in perspective. And it just killed me. I'm like, how did he turn 17? But what was funny is on Sunday, I received two text messages to tell Cameron happy birthday. One was his physical therapist and the other was his orthopedic surgeon, which cracked me up because I said, that kind of just goes to show what our family is like. My kids like to break bones. <laughs> and it's just a fact. In fact, the last four times, minus the last one that I went to, all four times, it was positive. They were fractured. And it kind of became a joke with my husband. He was like, I think maybe I should be the one to take them because every time you take them and I tell him you shouldn't, you're right. And that's kind of how it's been. Um, Hannah has had a lot of ups and downs. For those of you I've shared before, she's a gymnast. And this last November was one of those nights. I'm sitting at small groups, all the kids are in the house, and I get a text message from um, Hannah's coach. And it says, Hannah's okay, but she was flipping a vault, and when she got up, things just didn't feel right. So we have ice wrapped around her, but we think maybe it would be best for you to come up and pick her up. So I'm like, okay. So I go and I get her, and she's like, Mom, I don't know what it is. It just something does not feel right in my back. And so her coach said, I think maybe you should um, take her to get x-rays if it's not better. Well, this was just a blow to us because Hannah has had a lot of ups and downs. Her, for gymnastics, you, you work out all year round, but you only compete like three months out of the year. And this was November. She had all of her skills. She was ready, and competition started the 1st of January. So I'm like, okay, this is a real big bummer. So we take her in for an x-ray, he looks at it and he says, I think I see a fracture in the bottom of her spine, but I'm not totally sure. So I think we need to order a CT scan. So we wait for the CT scan, we get, I get the results first and I see that it doesn't show there's a fracture. So we're all, yay, no fracture. So we go into the doctor, he looks at it and says, I don't see a fracture, but I think we should do an MRI. Okay, more waiting, go get an MRI, get the MRI results back in what seemed like an hour of him looking at this film. He says, I'm not really liking what I see. I don't think it's broken, but there's a lot of inflammation in her lower back and there's liquid in her SI joints. And because of this, I think you should go see a rheumatologist. More appointments, more waiting. We go and we see a rheumatologist. He starts poking at her and she's all, ow, 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 is that supposed to hurt? And he says, no, it's not supposed to hurt. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna do some blood tests. We're gonna do some blood tests and there's this one particular gene we're looking for. And if you are positive for this gene, then you have a disease called ankylosing spondylitis, which is an arthritis in your spine. Okay, so more waiting, waiting for the blood test to come back. And on January 3rd, we find out that Hannah is positive for this particular gene and she has this autoimmune disease called ankylosing spondylitis. So we're like, what does all this mean? What does it mean that she has this? And he says, well, basically it means that her body has a lot of conflict inside of itself right now. Her body is fighting against each other. And normally, whenever you get sick and things start attacking your body like a virus, your cells will attack that bad stuff that's going on and it will heal you. But what's happening with Hannah is her good cells are attacking her good cells. And all of that attacking that's going on, it's causing all this heat 
and inflammation and conflict with inside her. And if this is left untreated, it can cause permanent damage and fuse her spine. So we're like, okay, so what do we do? He said, I'm not gonna give you this news and tell you that you have to stop living. In fact, it's the opposite. I'm gonna tell you that you need to be in control of your body and you need to do some work. So first of all, she takes injections every other Friday. She injects herself with some medication that she's learned how to do. Um, she had to change her diet. She knows things that she puts into her body that helps her with this conflict that's going on. And she had to remove items from eating that causes inflammation. And the last thing that she has to do is he said, you've got to get up every single day and move. It's not an option for you to be lazy. You have to exercise. Otherwise, your body will stiffen up and it will, it will lock in place. But you know, this is very similar to what we have going on in our lives. It's not a matter of if we're gonna have conflict, it's a matter of when. We experience conflicts with people in our lives that most of the time should be working with us and not against us. Family, friends, coworkers, and when these conflicts take place, we have flare-ups that happen. These arguments, these fights, we get hot-tempered, we get angry, and if we don't handle these things properly, it can cause irreversible damage in these relationships. God wants us to learn to navigate through these conflicts that we have and learn to take things out of our life that cause conflicts and put things into our lives that will help us deal with them. We need to get up and we need to do the work, ladies, and we need to fight these issues that we have with others in our lives. In our study this year, we see a lot of this that happens with David. David has had a lot of ups and downs. We've seen it through our whole entire study this year. But now he's coming to a time, it's supposed to be a time of victory, right? It's a time of excitement. He's heading home to Jerusalem and he's supposed to be re re restored to all power and authority. And he's trying to regroup everyone. But in the middle of all of this coming back, there's conflict. And that's what we see that happens. And it's conflict that doesn't just separate David from someone, but it's, it's a lot of people that are separated. So we're going to open up our Bibles to 2 Samuel 19. We're going to look at the very end of 2 Samuel 19, and we're going to look at all of chapter 20 this morning. And I want us to learn from this how we can pursue peace. We need to learn to pursue peace in our relationships. So 2 Samuel 19... Remember, Absalom is dead, David's son, and the king, kingdom is being restored, and David is finally heading home. So verse 40 says, the king went on to Gilgal, and Kimham went on with him. All the people of Judah and also half the people of Israel brought the king on his way. Then all the men of Israel came to the king and said to the king, why have our brothers, the men of Judah, stolen you away and brought the king and his household over the Jordan and all of David's men with him? So... Here we have some of the Israelites, they're upset. They're jealous. They don't understand. They kind of feel like this party got started without them because it says in the verse prior to that that all the people of Judah, but only half the people of Israel were there. So they were jealous and upset why they weren't all part of this, um, this party going back. Verse 42 says, all the men of Judah answered the men of Israel because the king is our close relative. Why then are you angry over this matter? Have we eaten at all the king's expense or has he given us any gift? And the men of Israel answered the men of Judah. We have 10 shares in the king and in David also we have more than you. Why then did you despise us? Were we not the first to speak of bringing our king back? 
So here's this time that they're supposed to be working together. They're supposed to be celebrating that the king is coming back and they start bickering and fighting, right? It reminds me of we get excited to go on a vacation and it's no more than half an hour into the drive that the kids start fighting in the back seat. And it's like, uh, you want to throw up your hands and go, why, are, why are, do I even have you guys with us right now, right? And that's what's happening. There's this bickering and this fighting that's going on between these two, these two people, and it shouldn't be that way. The bottom of verse 43, though, says things got worse. It says, but the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. And this word fierce is harsh, to be tough, severe, or intense. So pride and jealousy takes over and harsh tough, severe, and intense words are spoken, and the joy of the day is completely destroyed. And chances are, this has happened to you and I before. We can be in the middle of something that's supposed to be really good, but something happens if it's anger or jealousy, or maybe you've just had a bad day, and you get your feelings hurt, and blah, words come out. You say it, you wish you wouldn't have said it, and it's set, and you, but it's too late, and you can't push them back in. It happened to me a few weeks ago with Phil. I was in a bad mood. Some things hap- were happening at home. He didn't know. He had had this beautiful day out surfing. He was having a great time. He was on his way home. I'm sure he was like excited to tell me about it. And he calls and I just throw up on him. And he's like, whoa, okay, I'm on my way home. And he hangs up. And then I just felt that, ooh, that wasn't good. And I knew right away that I needed to fix this problem. My words were not okay. If we're going to avoid conflict, we must choose your words wisely. Picture how different this scene would have been if they would have just talked to each other, if they would have explained to one another what was going on when they were bringing the king back and why they were going and I'm sorry, we should have waited for you. Chapter 20 probably wouldn't have even existed if that would have happened. But the Bible tells us a lot about our words. And you know, it's funny, you can't talk, you can't speak if you don't have a tongue. And there are many, many verses about the tongue in the Bible. It's kind of weird because the tongue is odd, right? It's like a weird little stinky and slimy kind of thing. And in studying about the tongue, I learned a lot about it. But Before we speak and we use our tongue, we need to pray and ask God to help us use it. Psalm 141.3 says, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. Pastor Mike once said, we pray before we put things in our mouth, right? Why don't we pray before things come out of our mouths? Phil listens to a show called um, The Happiness Hour with Dennis Prager, and it's probably been about three years ago that he came home and he was so excited to share with me about this um, topic that they talked about. And he said that words and how you use your words and moods are a lot like bad breath. No one wants to be around someone that has bad breath. And it's the same thing with our words. Sometimes when you speak a certain way, people don't want to be around you. Did you know that most of the bacteria of bad breath rests on your tongue? And you're supposed to brush your tongue to get rid of bad breath? And as I was studying this passage, I thought, you know, that is a good reminder. Every morning, the first thing you do when you wake up, if you're going to talk to somebody, is you want to brush your teeth, right? So when you get up in the morning and you're brushing your teeth, I hope, I want all of you to pray. Don't just 
get rid of your bad breath, but pray that God will help protect your words that day. And then at night, when you go to bed to brush your teeth again, ask God for forgiveness and search your heart for maybe any way that you've used words that day that were not okay. I'm gonna give us five quick things that we should think about before we speak every day. Every moment before you're gonna speak, there's five things that we should think about. And think, T-H-I-N-K, that's gonna be the five things we're gonna go through. So the first is the letter T. I want you to ask yourself before you speak, is what you're about to say true? Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for, for we are members of one another. This putting away falsehood, falsehood is anything that's untrue. Any untrue statement, any kind of exaggeration, stretching the truth, anything that you're going to say that is not true, you should not say. Something that we say a lot that we should not have in our vocabulary is always and never. You never help me around the house. You always leave me out of these kind of discussions. We never do what I want to do. Is that really, really true? And any time that you say these things, your defenses are going to go up. Maybe it's not an untrue statement that you're saying directly to the person, but maybe you're upset with someone and you have that desire in your heart to go and share what's happening with someone else. So while you're sharing this, you're kind of stretching the truth a little bit and what really happened because you want the sympathy of whoever it is that you're talking to so they'll agree with you and be like, yeah, you shouldn't feel that way. That wasn't right. That is an untrue statement. Putting a spin on things to make it look worse than it actually is. The next thing in think is H. So I want you to ask yourselves, is this going to be helpful or is this going to be hurtful? Proverbs 12:18 says, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrush, thrusts, but the tongue of the wise bring healing. The tongue can be like a weapon. It can hurt, it can kill, it can hurt friendships, churches, reputations, hopes, dreams, and it takes a second to say it and it takes a lifetime to bring it back. The, the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, we all know that that is not true. We've all had someone that has said something to us that has hurt and you can't take it back. And I'm sure there's been things that we have said that we wish we could take back. Ephesians 4.29 says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So tongues can also be sweet. It can be something that you say an encouraging word to someone. Maybe it's just, I love you. It can be something, um, helping someone that is in need of something, um, sharing the good news. These are all things that our tongue should be used for. I went and um, had a meeting with Pastor Pete. When I was doing this study, I asked Pastor Pete if I could have a meeting with him. I wanted to sit down and I wanted to talk to him about counseling and how, what are some ways that I could counsel you guys in conflict resolution? What are some of the top things that people come in to talk to you about? And he said, a lot of times he'll get married couples that come in there. And he goes, you know what's funny? He goes, the men, what do you think men want more than anything? You would think that it's sex, that they want a nice dinner. They want their house kept up. And he said, you know what it is that most men want that come in? They want encouraging words from their wives. And he goes, I have a tissue box right here and I've got men that are crying and wiping away tears because they say that they don't think that their wife appreciates them because they never tell them that. 
So not just with your husbands, but with your friends, ladies, let's use our words to lift up, not always to tear down. It's your choice. Think before you speak, if it's gonna be hurtful or helpful. The I and think is intentional. Every single day, multiple times a day, things can happen that leave us frustrated, hurt, or angry over something that someone did. If it's someone forgot your birthday, someone left a mess in the house, your kids did something, but you need to ask yourself before you lash out at them, were they intentionally trying to hurt you? If they weren't intentionally trying to hurt you, then maybe it's time just to overlook that offense and not lash out at them. Carlin did an absolutely amazing sermon last week on forgiveness. And for those of you that were not here, please go back and listen to that. We need to learn when to let it go. Sometimes we just need to let it go. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. The in and think is necessary. And I think this is important for us women. Statistics say on average that we speak 22,000 words a day. How many of those words do we speak that are not necessary? That we maybe said something that we shouldn't have and it caused more damage. I love the quote, remember you have two ears and one mouth, so be sure to listen twice as much as you speak. James 1.19 says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So when you're faced with a disagreement or a discussion, be more intentional about making sure that you're listening to what the other person has to say. And sometimes you're not listening, right? You're fighting with someone and all you're doing is thinking internally about the next word that's gonna come out of your mouth without just stopping and listening to what they have to say. And another thing is about not necessary words is sometimes we can be nags, right? If you've made your point, you've made your point and drop it. You don't need to keep going on and on and on and on. Sometimes it's the first word that needs to be spoken and they get it. But if you keep on going on, then it gets, they're not hearing it quite as well anymore because then you're becoming a nag. Proverbs 17, 27, and 28 says, whoever restrains his words has knowledge and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. So zip it, put your hand over your mouth, count to 10, walk around the block, whatever it takes for you just to pause and think, should I say this, is it really necessary, do that. And the same thing applies with social media. You can read something and you get upset and you start typing and send, right? You lash out on Facebook posts for everyone in the world to see so that you can change them because we change them when we say that, right? When we type out that Facebook post, people come around and they realize, you're right, I'm gonna change my view. Ladies, it doesn't work. Sometimes it is not necessary. The last and think is K, which is kind. Ask yourself before you speak if the words you're using are kind. Proverbs 15, one through three says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. Again, you say something and you blow it and you come out and it's not kind. A lot of times conversations are important and they need to happen and they're uncomfortable and you don't mean to be hurtful, but it's how you approach those conversations. Phil knows when I'm about to have a flare up. He knows when he's coming to me and we need to have a discussion. He can tell when things are getting heated. And he'll grab my hand 
and he'll say, before we go any farther, I want you to know how much I love you. You know what that does to a conversation? It calms you down. Then you're more ready to listen and it puts things in perspective. We love each other, we can have this conversation. But if you walk into a conversation with your fists up, what's the other person gonna do? They're gonna have their fists up too. So when conflict arises with others, we need to choose our words wisely. We need to be concerned, we, we as women are concerned about things that go in our mouths, right? Food, we, we're concerned about, oh, how many calories does that have? Or I'm a foodie, so I love putting food in my mouth. I like planning out what I'm gonna put, when I'm gonna put food in my mouth during the week, but I need to be just as concerned about the words that are coming out of my mouth. The Proverbs 31 woman is described as a woman who opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. So can we strive to be women like that and be watchful and careful over the words that we say? We need to ask ourselves, am I being 100% truthful? Will this be helpful or hurtful to someone? Am I just being sensitive and reacting to words that are not intentional? Is it really necessary that I go down this road and am I reacting with kindness? Words can hurt and can cause irreversible damage, friendships ruined, marriages shattered, slamming doors, all because of words. Conflicts don't just affect two people lashing out at one another. Oftentimes, entire families are affected, church splits, wars, people taking sides, and then there's division. And that's what we see that happens in our passage. Because of these words, there's division, and that's not the way that God intended this to be. So let's turn back to 2 Samuel 20, and let's see what happens. So we have this guy named Sheba, right? Sheba's upset, door slam, he's upset, and he's going to take a whole group of people with him because of words. Chapter 20, verse 1 says, Now there happened to be there a worthless man whose name was Sheba, the son of Bichari, a Benjaminite. And he blew the trumpet and said, We have no portion in David, and we have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to his tents, O Israel. So the men of Israel withdrew from David and followed Sheba, the son of Bichari. But the men of Judah followed their king steadfastly from the Jordan to Jerusalem. And David came to his house at Jerusalem, and the king took the ten concubines whom he had left to care for the house and put them in a house under guard and provided for them, but did not go into them. So they were shut up until the day of their death, living as if in widowhood. Then the king said to Amasa, this is now his new commander. So remember that um, David had replaced Joab with Amasa, um, kind of to regain support from Judah. But in doing this, he had to demote Joab, which we know did not make Joab very happy. So Joab seemed to be kind of the guy that wanted to do whatever he felt like doing anyways. We saw that he killed Absalom's son, which made him very angry, which probably had something to do with him being replaced by Amasa. But Joab is unhappy. He's not happy that there's this new commander in charge. So look back at verse 4. So then the king said to Amasa, his new commander, call the men of Judah together to me within three days and be here yourself. So Amasa went to summon Judah, but he delayed beyond the set time that had been appointed. So this didn't make David happy. David wanted things, he, he wanted things done right away. So what does David do? He turns to Abishai and he says, now Sheba, the son of Bichari, will do more harm than Absalom. So he's going to have someone else do what he wanted him to do. Take your Lord's servants and pursue him, lest he get himself to fortified cities and escape from us. And there went out after him Joab's men and the Carathites and the Pelathites and all the mighty men. They went out from Jerusalem to pursue Sheba, the son of Bichari. 
When they were at the great stone that is in Gibeon, Amasa came up to meet them. So at this point, Amasa had now caught up with Joab and Abishai. Now Joab was wearing a soldier's garment and over it was a belt with a sword and its sheath fastened on his thigh. So he's got this um, sword fastened to his his thigh that's covered up. But as he went forward, it falls out. On accident? I don't know. And Joab said to Amasa, is it well with you, my brother? And Joab took Amasa by the beard with his right hand to kiss him. That was a traditional greeting, um, but it was also one to kind of have Amasa have his guard down, right? He was greeting him. Things are okay. We're cool. But Amasa did not observe the sword that was in Joab's hand. So Joab struck him with it in his stomach and spilled his entrails to the ground without striking a second blow, and he died. This was murder. It was purposeful murder. Joab was reacting to his feelings and he killed him. Then Joab and Abishai, his brother, pursued Sheba, the son of Bichari. And one of Joab's young men took his stand by Amasa and said, whoever favors Joab and whoever is for David, let him follow Joab. And Amasa lay wallowing in his blood in the highway and anyone who came by seeing him stopped. And when the man saw that all the people stopped, he carried Amasa out of the highway into the field and threw a garment over him. When he was taken out of the highway, all the people went on after Joab to pursue Sheba, the son of Bichari. What is Joab thinking? You know, two weeks ago, we were in our small group and we were all thinking, you know, here's Joab that he, he was helping David, right? David was having this pity party and Joab was the one that kind of slap, 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 turned him around and said, focus, get out of your pity party and you need to like focus on what is important here. And so Joab helped David. But now here, two weeks later, we see that he's a murderer and he's, he's acting out against David again. And I was trying to get into the mind of Joab and what was he thinking. And so I contacted a homicide detective that's a friend of mine. And I asked him, <laughs> I was just curious, what's the reasons for murder? Why, what's the top reasons for murder? And he said, there's only three. There's only three reasons that someone would murder someone. Despite um, if you're self-defense, but the top three are financial greed, sexual lust, or the pursuit of power. So when he's doing a homicide detective trying to figure out who did it, these are the three things that they look at. And I said, well, what about jealousy, hatred, and revenge, and anger? He said, they all fall under one of those categories. And we all know which one Joab fell under. It was the pursuit of power. He was um, killing Amasa because he was jealous, and he wanted that position of power. Joab is acting like a child. He's jealous, he isn't getting his way, so he retaliated. He did the worst possible thing that you could do, which is murder. And we're not retaliating by killing someone, but ladies, we do the same thing when we don't get our way. When we're acting like children and we don't get our way and we're jealous and we're angry, how do you retaliate? Number point number two is resist your desire to retaliate. And many times we are like children, we do this. We're wanters and we're driven by our desires when we find ourselves not getting our way, we manipulate things, we use our words, we do things to get our way and retaliate. Jealousy does the same thing. You're envious over others because of their homes, their stuff, their, their bank accounts, their looks, their abilities, and it bugs you because they have it all and you don't have it and you don't know why. And you retaliate. The jealousy can make you angry. And when we focus on these things and compare ourselves to others, it can lead to jealousy and bitterness and anger towards them. And it can cause us to insult and say things to them that just aren't true. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 21, 
you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. And you say, well, I'm not murdering, but Jesus says in verse 22, I say to you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So being angry and throwing out insults and calling names to others, it's right up there with murder. So what are your methods that you guys choose to retaliate when you're jealous, angry, or bitter at those around you? How do you respond with those emotions? Maybe you don't do anything, so you're like, cool, I'm good, because I don't do anything to retaliate when I'm upset. But what about your heart? How is it that you feel in your heart when someone else is getting something that you wanted? Or it's, she's always getting these things. Are you kind of like wishing in your heart and you get excited when you see that that kid doesn't get accepted into the school that they thought they were gonna get into? Or they don't get that job promotion? Or the relationship splits up because now they're finally not getting all that they have, this person that you're jealous over? God knows your heart, ladies, and that's not okay. Romans 12, 17, 18 says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And ladies, this is something that we have to think about ahead of time. It's something that has to be in our hearts and our minds all the time because it's not a matter of if it's going to happen, it's when it's going to happen. We are all going to be faced with conflict. If you could all turn to Galatians 5.16, Paul um, addresses this so good in this conflict that takes place in our body. He addresses it, and it reminds me of Hannah's cells fighting against each other. And you know we have a war that's going on within us as well. Galatians 5.16, it's talking about the fight between the spirit and the flesh. Galatians 5.16 says, But I say, walk by the spirit, which is God's way. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, which is your feelings. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. So that's that battle. For these are opposed to one each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity. This is issues that you have with people. Strife, jealousy, fits of anger. This is when you're fuming about that person. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. These are feelings that make you want to react. So how are you going to choose to respond to these feelings? Like Hannah, she has to make daily choices of the things that she puts in her body, and that's what we have to do. We need to have God's word. We need to pray, fill ourselves with accountability partners and godly friends. These are the things that we need in our lives that are encouraging us all the time to fight what the flesh is telling us to feel. And then there's things you gotta get out of your life. Maybe there's people in your life that have bad breath that you need to like push aside because they bring you down that road. Verse 22 says how we should be responding. It says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We must be proactive in how we're going to handle these conflicts and disagreements. Because ladies, if you're going to have one and a flare-up happens, it can cause irreversible damage to your relationships. And that is not what God wants to happen. He wants unity in our relationships. And I hope that when you have a conflict, it bugs you. I hope it bugs you so bad that you go and you make things right. 
And it could be just as easy as just saying I'm sorry and moving on. And that's what I love about the end of chapter 20. It was my favorite part of um, this whole study was this woman. And she doesn't even have a name. She's just called the wise woman. And she teaches us so much. Turn back to chapter 20 and let's look um, starting at verse 14. So we know Joab and his army, they're trying to get Sheba so they could kill him. And they found out that he was in this walled city, okay? So 2 Samuel 20, verse 14, it says, And Sheba passed through all the tribes of Israel to Abel Bel. Abel Beth Makkah, and all the Bichrites assembled and followed him in. And all the men who were with Joab came and besieged him in Abel of Beth Makkah. They cast up a mound against the city, and it stood against the rampart, and they were battering the wall to throw it down. This is what Cameron and Phil want to watch on a Friday night, this kind of a movie. Okay, so you've got Joab, he's the guy that's like, he's killing because he wants power and authority. And then he goes in and he kills the guy without him knowing. And then they take his body and they throw it and they cover it up. And then this woman comes in and she's like the heroine of the day, right? And so verse 16, so as I'm reading this, I, maybe I'm, you know, I have it in like a movie sense, but it says, then this wise woman called out from the city, listen, listen, tell Joab, come here that I may speak to you. Verse 17, and he came near and the woman said, are you Joab? And he answered, I am. Then she said, listen to the words of your servant. And he answered, I'm listening, which I think it's funny because here's Joab, this macho guy, right? You know, he doesn't listen to anybody, but here's this woman that's saying, listen, listen, come here, young man, and listen to me. And it's like he's being scolded and he does. He comes up and he's like, okay, I'm listening. In verse 18, then she said, they used to say in former times, let them but ask counsel at Abel. And so they settled a matter. I am one of those who are peaceable and faithful in Israel. You seek to destroy a city that is a mother in Israel. Why will you swallow up the heritage of the Lord? When she heard him attacking, she didn't hide in fear. She didn't go walk around and talk to other people about it. She didn't play this guessing game. She went straight to the wall and she called out Joab. She said, come here. And he listened and she asked him a question. It's exactly what we do or what I did when I would walk in and I would see Cameron as a little kid coloring on the wall or Hannah cutting off of all of her doll's hairs. You yell out and you go, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And that's exactly what she did. She walked right in and she said, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Why are you trying to destroy a peaceful city? Why are you attacking us? And Joab answered, far be it for me, far be it, that I would swallow up or destroy. That is not true. But a man of the hill country of Ephraim called Sheba, the son of Bichari, has lifted up his hand against King David. Give up him alone and I will withdraw from the city. So he told her that he wasn't trying to destroy the city. He just wanted Sheba. So the woman said to Joab, behold, his head shall be thrown to you over the wall. Then the woman went to all the people in her wisdom and they cut off the head of Sheba, the son of Bichari, and threw it out to Joab. So he blew the trumpet and they dispersed from the city, every man to his home, and Joab returned to Jerusalem to the king. Problem solved. Just cut off their head, right? Decapitation. Problem solved. We can move on. But we can learn a lot from her, right? We're not going to be cutting off people's heads, but she did find an opportunity to end the war. She prevented many deaths and she handled conflict and with peace and wisdom. She took the initiative to resolve the conflict and fix the problem. She didn't wait around, she did it. If we're going to be like the wise woman of Abel and pursue peace in our relationships, number three, we need to resolve to fix the problem. 
When you perceive that there is a problem in your life, if someone has something that they're upset with you about or you're upset with someone else, don't sit and stew about it, ladies. You need to initiate with that person and find out what is wrong. And it's not just you going and finding out what is wrong, but the big part of it is listening. Because what happened here with Joab is she asked him why he's doing it, and then when he gave an answer, she listened. So a lot of times when there's conflict, you need to go and ask someone why, but please sit back and listen and be humble enough to know that maybe it's something that you're at fault with. Maybe there's pride within yourself that needs to be dealt with. Matthew 18, 15 says, if your brother sins against you and go and tell him his fault between you and him alone, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So you go up and you say, hey, can we talk? Is there something that you and I can talk about? And if it's something that they've done to hurt you, may I suggest something that I learned in premarital counseling? You don't start with the, you did this to hurt me, you did that, you did this, you, 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 you. What that does is the person you're talking to, their defenses go up. But instead, if you go at it at the angle of, I'm feeling this way, and the reason I'm feeling this way is because this is what happened, and I, I want to work it out. But instead of doing the finger pointing, it takes down um, the possibility of a heated conversation to pop up. Another thing that the wise woman did was she listened. To her, it looked completely unreasonable for Joab to be attacking the city. And after she shared her side of the story, she listened. We need to make sure that we listen to their point of view and how you might be at fault as well. And lastly, the wise woman, she took immediate action. Once she found out what Joab wanted, Sheba's head, she gathered the people right away and she didn't wait. She didn't leave it to other people to fix the problem. She did it. She fixed it on her own. Ladies, if there's a conflict going on, we need to address it immediately. It's not something that we should wait about. A lot of times when you do wait it out, then you think about it and you think about it over and over and over again and that scenario of whatever it was that happened turns into something way bigger than it probably ever was. We need to deal with it. Ephesians 4.26 says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. God doesn't say don't be angry, he says be angry, but he says don't sin. So I'm not saying the feelings that you may be having of anger and jealousy and hurt are wrong, but the way you deal with those feelings need to be okay. Don't fall into sin in that area. Hannah's disease that she has, there's nothing she can do about it. But she has to choose how she's gonna manage it. And ladies, you are responsible with how you will manage the feelings that you have going on. But the second part of Ephesians 4.26 says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Any disagreement that you have, it has to be solved right away. Because the longer it goes, the worse it gets. Pastor Pete said that he would cancel all of his appointments if there was an argument in his home. He, he, they will stay up all night long till the sun comes up, until they have resolved an issue. He said a lot of people that come in for counseling, their issues begin with being hurt. They're just hurt. If those hurtful feelings aren't dealt with, then the hurt turns into anger, and then it turns into bitterness, and then it turns into a hard heart. And he said the majority of the people that come in with a hard heart, it's too late. And it's, too, it's very, very difficult to counsel with them. So ladies, don't wait for a hard heart. Please address the issues that you have right away. And unfortunately, you can do everything possible on your own and you still can't fix these issues. 
It's not the way that God intended. He didn't intend for us to be fighting with one another. Romans 12, 18 says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Hannah's disease is not gonna kill her, but it can't be cured either. This is something that she's gonna have to deal with for the rest of her life. And she can have moments where she's totally fine. She's walking around and everything is normal. But out of nowhere, she can be inflicted with pain that brings her to her knees and leaves her hurting and depressed. And relationships can be like that too. You're cruising along doing everything right and out of nowhere you're hurt. You feel paralyzed and sad. You overhear a friend saying something bad about you. You feel the distance between you and your husband or a friendship or a family member. You get overlooked for a job prom promotion. Someone won't speak to you and these conflicts cause pain and they make you want to do something and hurt someone and retaliate back. But we have to take control over our feelings. It's up to you and me to take control over that. I hate conflict. It's one of the worst things that I hate that happens. It can take me over, it leaves me depressed, I can't think about things if I have conflict with somebody. But you know, sometimes I have to think it's not a death sentence, right? Is it gonna matter in 100 years from now? Most of the time, you know, it's not, right? And it is gonna happen. We all know that it's, like I said, it's not a matter of if and when. And Jesus promised us that we will have tribulation but do everything in your power to pursue peace in your relationships. And if there's something that you can do to fix the problem, ladies, please do it today and don't wait. Choose your words wisely, resist your desire to retaliate and resolve to fix the problem. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for 2 Samuel. Um, it's always amazing to me how we can open up your scripture and you can teach us so much through reading a passage and there's so many stories you can read over and um, ask yourself, how does this apply to me, God? But this Second Samuel has been such a life-changing book of how we should be living, God. And I just, I thank you for these passages. I thank you for um, the ways that you teach us of how we should not respond and also the ways we should respond, God. I pray for all these women here with their relationships that they have in their lives and maybe things aren't going um, bad now, but we do know that conflict will arise, God. And I just pray that um, your word will guide them in ways to deal with issues and problems, God. And um, I just pray for peace in all of our relationships, God. I pray for our groups that we're going to go to, that everyone will be transparent with one another and open one another. And God, I just pray that all the women here will be doers of your word today, and they will initiate um, any issues that they have going on in their lives, God. We give them this morning to you, and we pray all of this in your perfect and holy name. Amen. You are dismissed.